All right. Once again, welcome to the Sun Country Alpa MEC All Pilots Call. Do appreciate everyone joining us. Looks like the stream through the doors started to slow a bit. I think everybody's had a chance to uh, to join us. That is able, and we are really happy to have you all here. Got some good information to come your way. Eric's got a presentation laid out for us, so I'm not going to steal any more of his time. Eric, take us away. Yeah, hey, Kevin, thanks a lot. Uh, appreciate you uh, uh, entering into the call for us there and doing the MC work. Um, just want to remind everybody that we do record these calls, right? Um, please don't repost these or take notes and summarize and repost those. Uh, we're here, you know, as we always are for a open and transparent discussion and uh, the reposting can just be taken out of context, which really does hurt uh, our overall pilot group and our, our negotiating efforts. So please uh, do what you can to uh, refrain from doing that and know that you're being recorded. And so while you're asking questions and stuff, uh, all that's going to be posted on, you know, YouTube, Spotify, um, any, uh, you know, iTunes, all of the um different uh, platforms out there. So uh, with that, just a reminder, it is an open session, right? So uh, if you feel the need to vent, uh, maybe that's better done uh, privately. Uh, by all means, ask all the tough questions you want, but uh, if, if you're gonna rant, it's best uh, probably not in public, right? Um, so yeah, I got a pretty good slide deck here. It's not everything that we did at the LEC meeting, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of a revised version of some of that. Then uh, Kevin will open up for Q&A at the end. Um, when we open up for the Q&A, please uh, don't talk over other people. It just gets really messy on Teams. If we do, we'll mute you. Uh, and uh, if you can use the raise hand function, that helps us. And we'll uh, we'll help you guys out on the phones with uh, instructions as well when we get there. Um, yeah, so we'll get into the call and cover some of the, uh, the material from uh, uh over the last couple of weeks um it's been really busy uh the slide deck is going to be a little bit long today um or at least the the conversation about the committees i want to give you a, a good committee update and let you guys know what's happening with the committees right so um i just i i'm extremely pleased given the heavy workload that we're facing as well as uh kind of the intentional distractions that are going on that um all aspects of what we are doing uh, are holding. All of our committees are really doing great work and uh, just really, really strong. And that is really indicative of the, the kind of investment that this pilot group has made in this MEC so that we can really function as executives um, and do the, the MEC work, not just the rep work, right? Because as a single council, we are a little bit, uh, a little bit different than a lot of other properties and that um, the MEC is also the reps, right? And uh, the MEC at a larger property, right, is this executive team that really acts as kind of a project manager over all of the amount of work. Uh, for the committees and tries to give the committees, you know, uh, the resources and training and uh, the robust investment and guidance and uh, mentorship that they need. And they're, they're getting all that and some more. And it's really great to see. Um, this week, uh, I guess last week, uh, with the Mazatlan um, incident, right? Uh, just really, really proud of our security committee. And I, I just want to toot their horn a little bit. Uh, the security committee found itself, you know, front and center in the, the violence in Mazatlan. 
Um, Sun Country was the the lone Alpa carrier with a pilot and a hotel in Mazatlan. We really absolutely hit it out of the park. So big thank you to to Eric Herman and his team on the security committee. Uh, they were uh, able to give us regular important updates and integrate the national officers and uh, SERP got their chance to to shine with uh, Carl Severson. Um, and I think most importantly, uh, one of uh, Eric Herman's um, projects that he's been working on for a really long time is this Iris app, right? So it's this app that allows um, really fast notification uh, of a pilot who's in crisis or to get notified of, uh, you know, crimes near you while you're on overnights and so forth. Uh, it's a really great tool. Um, they were used, able to upload the national officers on that and the company safety and security people. So Cobos and uh, Winters, uh, as well as all of our security committee and the affected pilot and have immediate um, conversation back and forth with him uh, while he was in the, the hotel in Mazatlan. Um, so yeah, once again, just a, a really big thank you to Herman and uh, Smoot and Carl Severson. Uh, guys did a great job. Uh, looking at the the safety side of things, um, so Andrew Casson has taken over as the the central air safety chair recently, um, and has a couple new initiatives underway. One is the ASAP Chronicles. Um, great to see you know the data coming out of our security or our uh, safety committees, right? So ASAP uh, has been a bit, a little, bit of a black box as long as well as uh, FOLQA. We're gonna start to see some stuff out of both sides. So these ASAP chronicles are gonna be found in your Comply 365 folder, as well as through the usual ALPA communications channels. Uh, and the whole idea is to try and get small digestible chunks of information out to you guys on safety trends as they're happening. So uh, tune into those ASAP Chronicles, have a read at those. Also uh, working on CFA animation. So basically what this is, is it takes all the data from uh, your FOQA information and basically makes like an animation of what uh, was uh, collected in terms of data. And we're working on an LOA to have a release and stuff so you can opt in to have an animation made of your data or take it back if you don't want it once you see the animation. Um, so all of that will be handled by our gatekeepers and that'll keep all of the data de-identified. Um, just really good progress there and really good relationship progress, uh, which is awesome to see uh, between the committees and the people who are uh, doing that work on the company side. Um, while you know there's storm and stress in other places in the relationship, those relationships are starting to blossom and do really well, and we're really happy to see that. Um, <clears throat> another thing on the the uh, safety side of thing things, you saw the uh, cargo loading and fire detection uh, com that we had out recently. Uh, the safety guys have done a great job um, taking some action here, as well as the the flight ops team. Uh, so. The MEC brought this issue to management, um, who is now requiring uh, Amazon ground ops to submit pictures of the loaded bins. So if you see an Amazon bin loaded above the line, um, which reduces the ability for the uh, fire system to uh, work properly, uh, please uh, write up a, a safety report. But uh, there's something in place that's supposed to be uh, kind of mitigating those problems, right? So that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, Kind of the uh, the big three things right going on with the MEC, just a real high level update. 
our internal focus has been uh, to create consensus around uh, the JPWG, right? So the PBS working group and keep that work moving. Uh, we've been down a few people recently, but the MEC has been able to pick up the loose ends a little bit. Zillin is back to flying now that the uh, joint working group from the 2109 uh, LOA uh, section six contract work that we did a year ago has uh, now expired as of the first of the year. Um, uh, Zillin's done a, a great job over the last year trying to push through uh, in a kind of impossible situation as the company has been coming in unprepared to work on their work. Um, and he's stayed with it through the whole year and we really appreciate uh, the stress uh, that uh, involves as well as the load that that puts on his family. Uh, he's happy to be back out flying the line. I still talk to him every day and uh, doing great out there. Uh, looking forward to having them back in the, the negotiating side of things soon, right? Um, Katie uh, Thompson, who has been working with the JPWG, she's been out working on her OE, uh, but been participating remotely on overnights and so forth in the JPWG meetings. Um, yeah, we've been really busy, but the work is being project managed really well and uh, delegated properly. and. Uh, even given the workload and the distractions, we've been able to uh, make very good progress on all fronts. Uh, so quick update on the JPWG. So the again, the Joint PBS Working Group, um, after some time working to reach uh, you know, strategic consensus on the ALPA side as to how we manage the risks of arbitration, uh, the group feels strongly that presenting language that reflects an industry standard PBS system uh, is the best defense in an arbitration. So uh, rather than um, going down the positional bargaining route that the company has adopted and starting at extremes with extreme positions, uh, we are uh, working to present uh, an industry standard PBS letter and expect uh, that uh, we'll be able to uh, defend that in an arbitration. Good place to be in an arbitration. Um, the company has received, as of last week, full language passes on our uh, full implementation LOA as, a, as well as a full PBS LOA. Uh, that's in their court now. We're working on contract section language. Uh, that's coming along nicely. Kevin uh, worked on integrating new definitions into the section two definitions of our contract, uh, as well as identifying uh, every sentence in the book that uh, touches PBS so we know what we need to change and add and uh, make modification to. Uh, the training section language is complete, vacation section language is complete, and we're working on uh, 11, I think is which is leaves, section 25, which is scheduling, um, and section 13. But as I said, uh, we've done a good job going through the contract and identifying what needs change and have uh, groups ready to work on that work over the next week. Still feeling good about our, our new PBS deadline. Uh, the MEC did sign an, LX, an LOA to extend the arbitration deadline that moves the arbitration pressure out uh, to the 27th of January from the 1st of January. Both sides needed time to engage collaboratively 
the company has had uh, significant discussions with NavBlue uh, without ALPA being included. In fact, has directed NavBlue to program uh, bargain terms uh, unilaterally without consulting ALPA. Um, we're now getting that under control and uh, having regular meetings with NavBlue and the company and starting to see more of a collaborative effort, I would say, from both sides, and that's that's good. Um, now, uh, they have the pass and they can work uh, to come back to us. And um, the arbitration threat, while still very real, is pushed out a little bit into the distance, right? Uh, a couple weeks here anyways. Um, the company has taken a, what I would say is a regressive and protectionist positional bargaining approach. Um, you know, indicative of kind of everything else that we're seeing from the uh, vacation arbitration recently to uh, the um, direct entry captain type stuff that we've been seeing, the reducing of captain minimums, right? Um, it is, uh, it's difficult because they're not interested in engaging in uh, meaningful interest-based bargaining discussions. Um, what this means, right, is that they give us little or no feedback at the table. Uh, they're holding fast, uh, just as an example, to the notion that training must be placed on lines following the final line award. So not as a, a planned activity or known absence, which then uh, your uh, you know, has a has a credit placeholder with it, and then your month is created around those planned activities, but instead holding to the notion that uh, what was in the book is what they're going to do. Never mind that the PBS LOA itself says something different. Um, but current book right is uh, that uh, training is placed on a, on your line after the final line award. And um, you know the PBS LOA says something completely different, but they've taken this position and they're holding to it. Uh, you know, um, as strategic as they might think that is, it's it's pretty regressive and really damages the relationship and makes it hard to get uh, good things done. I do have a couple slides kind of on positional bargaining and um, uh, interest-based bargaining as a, you know the other side of that coin, uh, which is what you see across the industry at successful properties. We'll come to that at the end, uh, but um, I just want to kind of note that a little bit here in the PBS context and how it's how it's uh, making it complicated to, you know, just work together on a solution that works and is efficient for the airline. I really have high hopes that the company will be able to change course there strategically and do this in a way that helps them get to the, the things that they want, because the, that kind of notion of how to do training is pretty harmful, um, really drives pilots away. It isn't the way that's done anywhere in the industry. And uh, ultimately is a, a pretty significant loss in, you know, quality of life. And it really hurts the relationship, right? So um, their response to uh, our past will be very telling as to whether they intend to engage or arbitrate. Um, and we're very hopeful that uh, they'll engage and move forward on a, a jointly worked on win-win solution, right? So um Getting into uh, the JWG in, in section 18, um, I do have some slides in the slide deck, and I think we'll come back to that later. Uh, but again, I'll just give you a little uh, brief. So uh, the company has introduced a, a $20 an hour pay increase for OE instructors, so nothing more for any of the other instructors. Um, 
you know, at the same time, the failure to implement the correct language that was ratified last December um, has led to a significant amount of pilot issue forms. And I'll have some uh, slides on that as well. So both pre-grievances and formal grievances, and then more issues that are uh, kind of underway, right? Um, and I think that that additional money piece may help to remedy some of that harm of, uh, you know, not getting things implemented properly and not uh, not paying uh, training pilots properly, right? So uh, we'll also seek, you know, back pay specific to instances where training pilots have not been paid in accordance with the language in 2109. And, uh, you know, the slide deck has a um, full list of uh, examples of the issues, but, um, yeah, some of that, you know, the big stuff, override not being paid on deadhead, override being paid on all uh, awarded credit is where it should be. Um, you know, that those numbers really add up pretty quickly to a very substantial sum of money uh, for our instructors and kind of trying to wash that away with a last best final offer with a $20 increase isn't going to quite do it. Um, I think that they... Um, uh, intend to engage on the settlements and, and truly uh, it'd be better to put all of the conflict of 18 to bed and have productive instructors and a good solid instructor core and kind of get moving on growing right um, so we have a map uh, to a solution on 18 uh, the money piece I think will help remedy that harm and now they just need to get the pieces together and uh, draft right so we're working on that as well um Training committee update. Um, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not advancing slides, Kevin. I'm just kind of working through this. Um, I'll have the slide deck in a little bit here with some more stuff. The uh, the training committee. Um, yeah, so our training committee is supposed to sign off on all of the AQP scenarios. So they're supposed to see. Uh, what is going to be uh, put in place for, you know, MVLOEs, that kind of thing. And uh, they're supposed to be consulted and they've they've been cut out. Uh, we've been cut out of, you know, the safety committee has been cut out of the emergency drills this week. Um, you know, on, on every level, our committees are kind of uh, struggling there in certain places where the company has decided to not engage or, or cut out the committees. Um, in this case, the training committee is supposed to be consulted and they weren't. Um, it's just, you know, more marginalization and mitigation labor strategies. And uh, in this case, they uh, they made a LOE uh, based on mountain fly. It's a reboot of an old complicated training scenario, probably from, you know, seven to 10 years ago. Uh, it was built in a time where everyone here had 10 plus years, you know, thousands of hours in the airplane. Um, like I said, a training scenario right now has been re rebooted as a chuck ride. And, um, you know, more importantly, it, it's not a, a new scenario that's driven by uh, safety data points that come out of our, our safety programs, right? Uh, really unfortunate to see that. Uh, we hope that that will get remedied in the near future, right? Um, Another kind of sore point that's been going on, uh, these training pilot working groups or something that, that uh, uh, have been being held lately by the new director of training, um, that really, you know, it's 
kind of a listening session on schedules or something kind of, you know, um, is a, but it's really a divide and conquer strategy kind of couched as a listening session. Uh, ultimately, you know, the company is going to appear responsive, but they've already bargained these terms with the MEC and the pilot group has ratified them. So they don't have any latitude to promise something other than what's been negotiated. And, um, Further, the company is the party that controls the implementation of what they negotiated. And if they actually implemented what was negotiated, the training pilots would be properly compensated uh, for their loss of ability to add, drop, and swap. Um, but because they're not paying the override, uh, there's a you know a problem with the, the training department and the training instructors. So uh, having listening sessions about how guys want to be scheduled isn't really going to change um, anything other than divide people apart as they um, uh, are, you know, dismantling consensus, right? Uh, it's kind of unfortunate to see. We're already hearing some messaging, you know, things like Alpa won't let us pay you more money, um, which nothing could be further from the truth. If the company wants to get to resolution on uh, Section 18, one needs to wonder why they're kind of stirring the pot there, right? Um, we need to settle all of the grievances that are out there related to Section 18. As you'll see in the slide deck, there are pretty significant amount of issues out there that they have to resolve in order to get uh, something done on that $20. I mean, anybody who wants the $20 and loses out on $50,000 worth of other income is kind of missing the point. Um, so, uh, you know, the JWG has um, has ended at this point. Um, we're trying to work through this as a grievance settlement now, and uh, we'll be moving forward and kind of letting you guys know and holding some uh, additional phone calls to keep, uh, in particular, the training pilots aware of uh, exactly where those issues are at and what we're passing. Uh, let everybody know, just be as transparent as possible so everyone's aware of what's going on. Um, some good news, uh, the scheduling committee um, and the MEC have been working on a reboot to the long trip LOA. Uh, we exchanged uh, signed copies of that LOA this week, and we're going to renew a trial period for additional six months. I really would have loved to have had the time to work through some of the conflict issues, change a couple of things around in the bid timelines. Um, but we just do not have the bandwidth with the amount of work going on between Section 18 um, and PBS and the grievance workload. So it's uh, there's a lot happening. And so the easy ground here was uh, to reboot this through, uh, you know, March through August bid periods. And um, Alpa will continue to build, build and award the long trip lines and the company is going to bear the financial burden of the leave to complete the work. So that keeps uh, Ingalls and Kitch involved in the pairing and line build solutions as well as building and awarding the long trips. And I think the, the bigger win right now is in rebuilding trust between the two parties. Um, you know, to negotiate effectively, you really need to, to grow trust and be able to, um, you know, get productive work done together. Um, Another issue I want to talk about that's going on is uh, kind of block to block. Uh, so you may have heard a little bit about this through the P2P guys, but I haven't really talked to the whole pilot group about it. 
Uh, and we really need a renewed call for darts. So some data and information, there is a separate dart category for this has been created. And what this is, uh, it deals with um, the out, off, on, and in times, so the UI times um, for uh, your flights, right? So from the time that you uh, push back to the time that you set the brake at the gate, right, uh, is what you're paid off of, but it's also what your 117 duty times are being generated off of. So uh, we need some data points here to help fix this. The, the pilot reported times in terms of pay are controlling, right? So uh, what you enter into the, uh, into the can is what actually is uh, what you're going to get paid off of. Um, but what we need to know is when the door times are different from brake set and main cabin door. And it appears kind of at first blush that the logic is something to do with um, the break, the first brake set after touchdown, right? So if you set the parking brake while you're in between two runways, waiting to get clearance to cross a parallel runway. And uh, that seems to be generating a um, an end time which is not correct in terms of pay or in terms of duty. So be aware that there's issues there. Um, and I also just really want to caution everybody about the safety problem here, right? Please do not avoid setting the brake when you need to use it. Um, uh, the brake needs to get set when the brake needs to get set and enter the times manually if you need to enter the times manually uh, and keep track of that. But don't avoid setting the brake uh, as a way to you know, end around uh, kind of the, the pay issue that comes with this, this brake logic, okay? Um, we really need to know each aircraft and what its logic is. So um, please, if you can take the time to just file a dart quick, uh, an ASAP is totally appropriate as well. Uh, and if you are experiencing 117 duty time issues as a result of this, definitely file an ASAP to protect yourself. No doubt about it. Um, just a, a quick word on ELP before I get into the slide deck here. Uh, so ELP is a payroll program. Uh, the company was hoping to implement uh, 1st of January. That timeline has been slipping. Uh, and the company is, uh, I guess, concerned about the progress there. Uh, this would replace the the AIMS uh, allowance uh, uh, page, basically, and be much more uh, transparent, right? So uh, the company's now doing daily progress updates seven days a week with the vendor um, to get this to move along. Um, I'm happy to hear that they're holding the vendor's feet to the fire. Um, this looked like it was going to be, you know, uh, a pretty good implementation up until recently, but uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that it has more to do with kind of the, the pains of the past with Ames uh, and that this it doesn't turn out the same way, right? Um, everyone's maybe just a little skittish because of uh, some of the past, but uh, that we actually have a successful uh, implementation, just maybe a little bit delayed. So, um there are ongoing very significant payroll issues. Um, at this point, everybody really should be manually tracking their pay and making sure that they're paid properly. Uh, this is this cannot go the way of Ames. Honestly, it, it needs uh, to be fixed because uh, nothing drives attrition like having to fight for your pay. And uh, everyone saw the the bulletin uh, over the last couple of days here, uh, and the eleven. Uh, separations, I think, goes on there, and four of those are captains, right? And it's pretty painful stuff. Um, 
we just got to get it right. We got to be able to pay people properly and you can't fight for your pay. Uh, it is a moral issue and it needs to get dealt with. Right. Um, a company has indicated more investment into Ames if they can't get a fix here through ELP. That's a bit puzzling given the ongoing systemic meltdowns, right? Uh, I think two major systemic meltdowns, not dissimilar to Southwest's IT problems, right? Um, we really need to make an IT investment here and um, get out of Ames and get into uh, a payroll program that works properly. Uh, doing payroll in a kind of semi-manual way for a pilot group with over 600 pilots now is just really complicated. Um, so, you know, that's some kind of tough stuff. Uh, we do have, um, you know, the issue with the caps and the upgrade restrictions and reduced minimums going on as well. Uh, the MEC will file a formal grievance on this uh, you know, unilateral change to bargain contract terms uh, through the FOM. Uh, these are terms that we have negotiated on in the past. Yeah, they're definitely under the purview of bargaining. And uh, we understand that the pilot group is rightfully concerned about the reduction in minimums. Uh, and we hear a lot of uh, safety concerns expressed. Um, there is a clear contractual violation though in the addition of a turbojet 121 multi-crew restriction and if anybody you know on property participates in a uh, position award and has a bid in for captain um, and you are restricted from being awarded a captain position because you have you know turbo prop time or single pilot time um, that restricts you from that captain award based on the newly added restriction of uh, 300 hours of turbojet. Uh, clearly, you should have been awarded that and should, we should have been able to bargain over that. And it's not a huge problem to work through. It's just that with, you know, actions being taken unilaterally in, intentionally meant to harm uh, and marginalize uh, ALPA and by that the pilot group, um, you know, you're going to end up with guys who are financially harmed by this, and ultimately uh, a grievance is going to have to be filed to, to remedy that. Um, we're also concerned about the additional charter evaluations. Um, we're not sure quite fully what that's about. I think we can probably work through it, but uh, we would have to engage, uh, the company would have to engage with us in order to work through it, right? Um, I get a lot of questions. I don't have a lot of answers yet because there haven't been conversations uh, other than uh, us being told that this is going to happen. So, uh, you know, unilateral sub uh, subjection of our pilots to further possible failures through a um, or or special tracking through an additional check ride, by the way, of some kind of charter checkoff is fairly problematic. I'm being told that that isn't going to be what it's about, but we don't have anything uh, written that says that it's not going to do that, right? And it's unclear what the company intends to do just simply because they haven't bargained with us and we have few answers. So, 
Um, like I said, we've bargained about uh, these issues in the past, and uh, we have bargaining history on both upgrade restrictions and the training footprint. Uh, the MEC has indicated that we're interested in engaging in a mutually beneficial discussion, right? Uh, so we talk about our problems together and we find ways to solve them. Uh, instead, they've taken a positional bargaining approach again and um, uh, or worse, right, by just imposing changes without bargaining. So uh, with that, I want to get into the slide deck a little bit and I have uh, some information to share with you guys about the survey. Um, I'd like to do another call where we really go through all of the survey, but it's a good solid hour uh, just to work through uh the slide deck on the survey and uh, obviously there's a lot of news and issues uh that we need to get out to you guys and so i've kind of condensed these down a little bit um so here's some survey slides from uh line check airman responses so this uh is only looking at current captains who are responding to these questions so uh how much of the following uh are the following factors affecting your decision to become a line check airman? So rating with a star system. So one star, not at all. Five stars is a lot. So uh, the existing contract language in Section 18 for training pilots. So uh, essentially what you see here is that all of the captains were asked um, uh, whether the existing contract language is affecting their decision as to whether they would want to uh, be a line check airman or not. Uh, the existing contract language is, um, uh, you know, 39 respondents. So about half of the captain respondents are saying, yeah, the, the language is a problem. Um, and I think the rest of these slides will kind of bear out just how and why. Uh, so how much are the following factors affecting your decision to become a line check airman requirement to be a full-time training pilot and not a line pilot, right? Uh, does that affect your decision? Yep. Yep. The full-time restriction does indeed uh, dissuade people from wanting to be involved. We, um, at the company's request, right, moved from a uh, volunteer system on a month-to-month -month basis to the full-time uh, basis. Uh, the exchange there value, right, was that the full-time training pilot uh, for losing the ability to add drop swap uh, their trips, right, being locked into their schedule, would get a training pilot override. And what pilots are seeing is pilots who aren't being paid the override are having to fight to get paid for their override. And as a result, um, choosing not to become uh, training pilots, right? So, yep, the full-time restriction is a problem. Um, here we see uh, pretty astonishing alignment around this, right? So concern about loss of schedule control, such as trip trading, drops, and open time pickups, right? That's where the concern is. That's what people want. Um, need to get there, right? Um, or pay people enough to um, not be concerned about that, right? And what was designed there is that, uh, uh, at least what was in the minds of the negotiators uh, last December, was that you were going to get paid an override for being a full-time training pilot. It's just an additional dollar amount. Um, that has been uh, difficult since you know, the 11th of January last year. Um, that's why people don't want to do the job and why people are expressing uh, discontent with uh, their training pilot work. 
Concern that your work schedule and quality of life will be worse as a line check airman than a regular line pilot due to the company's aggressive growth plans. Yep, uh, concern that your work schedule and quality of life will be worse as a line check airman, right? Um, I think all these slides kind of work together into a pretty good picture, right? Um, uh, as to where the the sentiment is here, as to being a line check airman or becoming a line check airman, right? Um, here's some survey uh, data on the FOs. Uh, so these respondents here are just first officers. Uh, why they're choosing to bypass upgrades, right? So. Uh, would your seniority hold a captain position at this time? Uh, and this is kind of in the November time frame, right? So 72% or 48.6% say yes, they could upgrade. 51 say no, they couldn't upgrade. Um, I think what will bear out here is that even if this was all yes, right? So we just brought the minimums down to nothing and let unfettered access to being a captain happen. Um, I don't know, let's see what happens. Uh, what's your main reason for electing to bypass upgrades? Schedules, right? Um, so you can bring the minimums down to nothing. Yeah, there's safety concerns and uh, a bunch of you know bad stuff happening in terms of damaging the negotiating relationship that's really difficult to fix. But we're not fixing the schedules, right? Who's going to upgrade into a schedule they don't want? Apparently, about 73% of the FOs are saying, I'm not interested in that. Um, career plans, a uh, couple interesting slides here with the career plans. So, uh, excuse me, I kind of went ahead there. Career plans, have you considered downgrading to FO in the past year? 20, about 28% of the captains uh, have considered downgrading, right? We saw one uh, in the last uh, uh, position award, but apparently about 28% of our current captains are considering moving back to the right seat to get a better schedule. Uh, what are your career plans for Sun Country? This one I think is uh, pretty complicated, right? So here we have, uh, I'm actively applying at other carriers, right? 20% of the airline is, uh, of the FOs are actively applying to leave and another 39% are considering applying but haven't done so yet. So 59.5%, 60% of the first offices are considering or actively trying to leave. You know, those are, these data points I think are pretty revealing. And when you see numbers like this that are really lopsided, you really have to look at it and wonder why, right? And guys are looking at the schedules going, man, I don't want to upgrade into that. Better to take myself somewhere else where I can upgrade into a schedule that I, I want for the rest of my career. And that's the next 20 or 30 years and doing this job. And um, so they're looking elsewhere to get that, right? Uh, what's the biggest factor affecting your decision to consider leaving Sun Country? Uh, so across all pilot respondents, and it's about 50% of the pilot group here, 57.7% um, say schedules, right? You break that down into captains, 81% um, schedules, First officers, 46.6% schedules. And you see a, you know, a higher number with pay there for first officers as well, right? Because 
where are we attributing to, uh, basically uh, Delta and United. That might start to change as the other carriers have now outstripped us in terms of pay over the last year where we held a, uh, you know, a higher pay rate over um, Spirit, Frontier, JetBlue. Um, that was a, a little bit less of a, a desirable position and a little bit more lateral, right? But now here we see uh, where the real issue is, is in schedules though, right? Got to fix the schedules that fixes the captain upgrade problem. You don't need to do any of the crazy reducing the minimums to nothing. Got 100 people sitting in the right seat who have been in this airplane for a long time. Just need a better schedule. Um, this is just some sentiment, right, on uh, direct entry captains. And what we were asking about was more of a direct entry captain system, not just simply you know, unilaterally lowering the minimums to nothing. But I think this is pretty telling of where the pilot group is at with this kind of notion, right? Um, so 53.5% say, I would not be in favor of hiring direct entry captains because I feel it would mask more fundamental issues that the company needs to address first. Right, training, IT, some of that stuff comes to mind. Obviously, uh, I find this slide uh, fairly interesting, right? Because um, about 14% are saying I'd be willing to accept direct entry captains if that's what's needed for achieving future growth plans, right? Um, that's kind of the, let's grow, let's do whatever you gotta do. I don't care if I get some gains, right? 25, uh, about 26% uh, of the pilot group is saying I'd be willing to accept uh, direct entry captains, but only in exchange for specific significant gains for pilots around my seniority. That that 26% is going to be pretty disenfranchised by uh, not engaging on that and trying to operate a sub rosa direct entry captain uh, program, which is exactly what's going on by lowering the minimums and imposing uh, additional restrictions, right? So uh, total, right, about 79% of the pilot group uh feels like this is a bad idea some because they want some more money and be able to bargain over it and uh, a big chunk are just simply concerned about the airline in and of itself um uh, that i think is a statistical anomaly that bears looking into more deeply to understand why and what those fundamental issues are right and what people are concerned with but to me, that says, you know, 79% of the airline is not going to be very pleased with uh, uh, the actions of late by reducing the minimums and imposing restrictions. It's a lot of the work group. Tone deaf. Uh, Section 18 update. Um, yeah, so. We did a little bit of this at the top of the call, right? just kind of talking about what's going on with 18. But, um, all right, I mentioned that the company's offered a $20 increase uh, to OE override. That that comes out to about an $1,800 increase on the 90-hour guarantee. That's pretty good, but they're denying paying the 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 uh, override on all the guarantee, right? Um, uh, this is kind of being proposed as a last best final offer ish um there seems to be a little bit of opening to deal with some of the grievances i don't see how we can not deal with the grievances and as you'll see over the next like 
five or six slides. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I don't think that they're impossible issues to work through, but they do need answers. Uh, otherwise, our training pilots are going to suffer pretty significant losses compared to what uh, was ratified last December. Um, Twenty dollars or not, they're probably better off, you know, even if they have to win those things through arbitration and wait for the back pay uh, to uh, get what they actually negotiated rather than a $20 an hour payoff. Because uh, remember, the company is is only paying these guys the override on the training that they actually do, not on all of the trips awarded uh, to uh, pilots through um, bidding for OE. Uh, understand too that you know they're restricted um, to eight percent of trips um, with the implementation of PBS, at least. Uh, that. Uh, the way that OE pilots are going to get their trips is through bidding, right? And all of those trips, presumably, they would want to use those for OE um, and are supposed to be paying override on that. It's, it's about 8 to 10 on the amount of block that we have now, 8 to 10 instructors that they can do that with the amount to 8% uh, of total trips, um, which is kind of interesting and complicated. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, $1,800 increase on 90 hours of guarantee, but that's only if you're actually getting paid the override on all 90 hours is what was negotiated. So uh, the offer as it stands right now doesn't settle the outstanding grievances. We're holding fast to the notion that it needs to. Um, and as you'll see in the slide deck, there's a lot of them. Uh, the training pilots are owed significant amount of money and I think need back pay to remedy this, right? The $20 might help some of that move. Um, but, uh, you know, the unpaid override alone is worth significantly more than $1,800 a month. Um, apologies there. Uh, the company has uh, insisted that the override increase uh, must move with this section. We asked, you know, hey, you're having troubles hiring and retaining these, um, these OE instructors. Why don't you just pay them the extra 20 and uh, no, they need them to move. They see it. Uh, is somehow uh, bringing to resolution the, the issues that are in question. Um, really, all that's necessary is just to implement, um, but that hasn't happened. And I think that comes down to the notions of positional bargaining versus, um, you know, integrative or uh, interest-based bargaining. Um, they just simply don't want to implement something they don't like, right? Even though it is exactly, it's their section, their past that was ratified and, uh, they're not happy with it. So uh, next few slides go through kind of a summary of what's open in terms of um, Section 18 grievances. And I think it's uh, important for the pilot group to get tuned into this. Some of this does touch on pilot, uh, you know, regular pilot life, line bidding life. Um, but it's good to understand what the training pilots are actually facing right now because uh, they're having to fight for their pay um fight for their override fight for the uh, 5.3 hours per day per event uh, that they're supposed to get paid um and uh, it's helpful if the whole pilot group uh can create some solidarity there be behind these training pilots and support the the effort to try and resolve these things so if the training pilots don't kind of feel like they're out on their own right um so the first one i want to talk about is uh, grievance number 22 554 this is kind of a rolling five-day scheduling of training pilots. So um, 
The ratified section, the language from last year, 18G5 and 18B11, 18G5 requires that the training events be awarded at the final line award. Um, this is, uh, you know, the definition as well of a, of a what is a training event. Uh, so the training event definition uh, does not contemplate a blank a work period and has no underlying training events, individual uh, specific training, um, and that's supposed to be awarded at the final line award. What's happening right now, all the training pilots, uh, so, you know, SIM instructors, APDs, um, are being given essentially blank work shells or blank days. And then all of their training is being assigned on a five-day rolling scheduling window. This was not approved, not negotiated. Um, what was agreed to last December is different from this. This is um, a, a unilateral decision that was made by the company. We said, don't do this. You need to allow people to bid their training. Um, and they said, no, we have. We need to be able to do this to have the training throughput. Reality is it, it doesn't change the training throughput and the change has been catastrophic in the training department, they're in complete chaos. Um, what this does to the training pilot, right? They're supposed to get their underlying work. So, you know, LOS1, MV, LOE um, on the 17th at two, right? Um, that's supposed to be scheduled. And then if it cancels, they have cancellation protection for that canceling. And additionally, they have, uh, you know, uncovered training events, which is the training pilot open time. And because all of the training pilots have nothing on their schedule, all of the uncovered work is just getting divvied up uh, and shoved into those empty work shells rather than going through uncovered training events. So there's a pretty significant, I think, uh, very large uh, financial um issue here for our training pilots as the the additional work opportunities that uncover training events uh, would be for them as well as the cancellation of their events um, all that's being undermined by this unilateral change right so pretty clear violation of what was ratified 2258 uh, this deals with the other side of the coin right so this is the five-day rolling scheduling window for for new hires and upgrades and oe training pilots a um, couple citations here, so 11I2A, uh, no one monthly training includes all ground school, flight training, and checking that can be known prior to the publication of the initial bids. Um, certainly, uh, all of this training can be done prior to the initial bid. Uh, it doesn't constitute line checks, right? So it carves one thing out specifically. Uh, the bidding and awarding of no one monthly training shall be in accordance with the procedures described in Section 25 and Section 11I3. Um, and then 25G4A says all pilots who have been listed in the bid package as eligible for ground training or simula simulator, simulator training or checking, uh, right? Simulator training or checking during the bid month shall also bid their preferences for specific training periods that have been included in the bid package. So you're supposed to be able to exercise your seniority to bid a training slot that works with your WACL, right? Uh, our pilots are being denied this and um, it's hurting the income of the training pilots uh, and leads to unsuccessful training outcomes as people struggle uh, being shoved around and uh, schedules that are inconsistent and are uh, moving people's body clocks all over the place. It's really unfortunate. Uh, 
22-534 is a grievance uh, regarding solicitation of training pilots by email. So this is general solicitations. Uh, 18-H1, uh, email general solicitation, uh, uncovered training events, not OMS published, right? So the contract requires that OMS, uh, which is AIMS, it's not email, it's not uh, some other systems on an Excel spreadsheet posted online. It is AIMS by definition um, uh, in our contract in Section 2. So um, the training events uh, being done through email um, was uh, uh, nothing more than uh, a way to get to the point where things were OMS published and they're not OMS published today, right? Uh, constitutes a general solicitation, which means an offer from crew scheduling to a pilot pursuant to 25J. Uh, 25J was deleted with 2109 of last year. Uh, the ability to do general solicitations ended with that. And um, uh, 25T, right, uh, prohibits uh, the company from soliciting pilots to violate the contracts, which is simply asking pilots uh, to um, do training events or fly. Uh, regular pilot flying or anything like that uh, is, is not um, acceptable. Uh, so really this grievance deals with um, running the uncovered training events by email rather than through OMS, through general solicitations. Then we have 22535, which is solicitation of a training pilot by text or phone. These are individual solicitations. These have always been uh, prohibited by our contract. It's not acceptable to call up an individual pilot. Uh, even in the past, all that was supposed to be allowed under 25J was the general solicitation, not an individual solicitation. Um, and in this case, we see a training pilot um, being texted and called uh, on an unrecorded line uh, to an individual training pilot to cover uncovered training events. Um, in this case, it was not a, a full-time instructor, but an instructor on a fly month. And um, they were asked uh, on an individual basis uh, by training scheduling and the director of flight operations uh, to violate the contract in violation 25T um, and asked uh, to add regular pilot open time, which the training pilot would then uh, fly uh, training on, which is not a, un, not acceptable under the contract anymore. It's a violation of 181A, um, which prohibits a training pilot from uh, flying line operations flying. Uh, they could not do the training, the OE, on a regular pilot flying, right? Um, yep, all that stuff. Here's some more. Uh, 22 526 failure to publish uncovered training events. Uh, so this is simply uh, not OMS publishing uncovered training events, uh, and that the current email system doesn't uh, doesn't cover that. Um, 22559 training pilots assigned sim fills. Uh, there were lots of discussions and negotiations about um, training pilots doing sim fills or moving sim fills into uh, the training pilot uncovered training events. Um, uh, that language did not get written into what was ratified last December um, and needs to be dealt with. Uh, from a credibility standpoint for us, I would say that uh, it needs to get written in, uh, much like 
the company needs to provide override on all awarded block um, because that's what the minds of the negotiators believed was going to happen uh, on both accounts, right? So currently what we're seeing is uh, arguments uh, with training scheduling, whether they need to pay four hours of pay or 5.3 hours of pay to training pilots, uh, assign sim fills. First of all, no way to assign it. Second of all, training pilots don't do anything other than 5.3 hours. Uh, all of their work is a training event paid at 5.3. That's all that there is under the ratified um, and uh, loosely implemented, um, not properly implemented section 18, right? So um, there isn't any work that a training pilot should be doing that gets paid less than 5.3. Um, there you have it, right? Shouldn't be doing it, shouldn't, can't be assigned it. And if you are, no way to pay four hours for it. So, um, pilot was also not paid an override, uh, which is uh, not correct either. Um, training pilot was assigned after the final schedule. Uh, there's no way to assign work after the final schedule. The only way that a training pilot can get work after the final schedule is through uncovered training events. Um, not dissimilar to uh, regular pilots, right? Uh, it's just that they have their own uncovered training events, their own open time. So 22555 uncovered training events, training pilot order of assignment. So what this is, is a violation of 18G13, where uncovered training events are not being offered to non-bidding training pilots, right? So uh, guys who are assigned to sim work and sim line check airman, sim instructor, APD, um, need to have a way in which they are allowed to add open time prior to uh, training pilots who are on OE or fly month lines. Okay, because the guys who are on OE and fly month lines have access to regular pilot open time for ads, right? Um, so the guys who don't have access to that, the simulator uh, instructors, APDs, uh, simulator check airmen, right, um, are advantaged here, and there is no mechanism in which the company has implemented to uh, advantage those pilots to pick up that uh, uncovered training event prior to a uh, pilot who's on OE or fly month lines. Some more. Excuse me, I need something to drink as we're going through this. A lot of them, isn't there? 22553, uh, training pilot annual fly month requirement. Um, it's unclear whether the company has met the requirement. Uh, it should be prorated for um, one fly month in 2022 and at least 40 hours of flying. So the grievance committee is auditing that to see that every uh, training pilot was given the fly month and uh, hours of flying that they uh, they deserve um, free from the training department, right? Um, 22550 training pilot override compensation unpaid. This is um, uh, kind of what I've been alluding to with the training pilots not being paid compensation uh, for their schedules being locked, right? Um, the training pilots under 18A2B, they're full-time, right? And the the exchange for being a full-time instructor rather than being a volunteer was that you're going to get paid an override, an hourly override. Uh, you didn't need to teach for that, got paid whether you deadheaded or not, uh, got paid that for all your awarded OE line trips uh, rather than um, just the ones that you were assigned OE on. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways. 
it's a problem. A lot of money there uh, to be made by the training pilot in exchange for freezing their line, right? Which is not being paid. Uh, 22545, failure to pay PPE for training pilots. Um, you know, if you add flying, add work, uh, OE events, assembly events, um, training of any sort, right? Uh, any training event uh, after the final line award, uh, should we pay that premium pay? And I think there's a solid argument that the guys who are getting assigned work shells, who aren't being assigned training events, uh, who are now getting those put on, put on them after the final line award should be paid premium pay for all that. Uh, sim event uh, recall placed on schedule after final line award. This is a little bit complicated. Um, uh, how do you recall? Is that your own training? Are you paid the 5.3 as a training event for your own training or not? And that needs to come to resolution uh, as well in Section 18 before we can kind of move forward with uh, any kind of last best final closing type things. Um, 22-527, seat filled captain occupying the right seat, so uh, out of status. Um, there is no language that right now allows, a, um, at least under the, the ratified agreement from last December, that allows a, uh, a seat filled captain uh, to occupy the right seat, whether he's a line check airman or not. There's a mechanism for training pilots uh, to perform that seat fill um, in the ratified language and certainly not to sit out of status because that isn't there. There's no language for that. These are other issues uh, which are um, still being worked on by the grievance committee um, and are being sent over to the company uh, as pre-grievances um, or have been sent over as pre-grievances and um, are preserving the timelines and the ability to file uh, formal grievances. So uh, override not applied to ELPA drop trips, right? So ELPA, is paying the override for um, an OE pilot when they, um, as part of our fringe that we pay to the company. So anybody who's on Alpha Leave, um, we pay for Social Security and all the extra costs um, on like a prorate. So that's being paid by Alpa right now, but then Alp, the company is denying uh, an Alpa volunteer that override uh, on their drop. Uh, so uh, that's complicated. Um, full month training pilot, this is the FMTP, uh, so full month training pilot awarded daily open time. Um, this is a clear violation of Section 18. It's like right in the, the preamble, Section 18.1A, I think it is. Pilot cannot fly, uh, training pilot cannot fly in line operations unless it's specified somewhere in Section 18. Um, uh, so that's a probably a clear violation there. Take a look at the fact set. Uh, sim fill seat support added by a training pilot. Uh, again, four hour issue. Then we have uh, MVLOE uh, required to be completed by the instructors being assigned after uh, receipt of their schedules, right? So um, that should pay a premium pay rate and pilots aren't being paid premium pay because everything is on a five day rolling window. Section 18 issue forms in progress. Um, so these are just issue forms that haven't been sent over to the company that uh, uh, are within the last 60 days where training pilots have filed pilot issue forms uh, or a grievance form, right? So um, training pilot awarded a reserve line. This is complicated because there's no language in section uh, 18 that allows for 
that training pilot to be given any training um, or any regular pilot flying. Uh, it's a little bit of a uh, dead end. Needs to get resolved. Uh, contractually, they're they're axed off from both sides. Um, training pilots paid and credited with 5.3 hours for each duty period, um, each training and checking event up to two events per day, not three events. There is no way to get paid for three events under uh, Section 18, so triples are not allowed. That's a whole other issue. You should be getting paid as a training pilot uh, 5.3 hours of credit for uh, each training event uh, during a duty period up to two events per day. Uh, for deadhead travel and for a uh, seat fill, um, right? If they're allowed to perform a seat fill, which is a whole nother problem yet to be resolved. Um, training pilots denied override on a sick call. Uh, the contention here is that you have to be doing the training in order to be paid the override. The override really is an increase to their base pay, uh, or not their base pay, but like um, after any calculations are done on their premium payoff on their base rate, uh, then they get an hourly override for having their schedules locked. It's not by performing the training. Um, some training pilots are being awarded single days off. And then what do you do with uh, long trip lines and OE? Uh, there's some timing issues here to be resolved in the bid uh, to allow um, long trip lines uh, training pilots who are awarded long trip lines to do OE. So interesting and complicated there. So um, you've heard me talk about this a little bit throughout the call. Um, and I just want to kind of put it out there to the pilot group what this stuff is, right? When I say positional bargaining uh, versus interest-based bargaining, okay? So positional bargaining uh, really isn't ineffective way of bargaining and um it doesn't take but uh, you know a three minute google search right just just enter positional bargaining and take a look at how the world views it um it is um the notion that someone has to win right and then someone has to lose and you hold tight to these extreme positions and refuse to move off of them right it's essentially the you know, haggling over a used car on a used car lot, right? I'm I'm willing to pay this. I'm willing to sell it for this, and the two, uh, you know, extreme offers make small concessions and they drag it out, or as they move, you know, five dollar increments as they move together, and they neither one ends up where they want to, right? Um, so it, it's a Positional bargaining is a form of distributive bargaining where both parties view the conflict as a win-lose situation, right? It is uh, competitive bargaining is synonymous with positional bargaining, right? The idea that someone has to lose. Um, I have to beat you in this discussion, right? Um, it's the idea that the pie is only so big and uh, we're going to distribute some part to you and some part to this this group, right? Um, and they view negotiating as a conflict in which there is going to be a loser. Um, it's really long, it's really arduous, and it drags out the process. It's way longer than it needs to be um, because you're not identifying the issues, discussing the issues, and trying to move towards resolution on those issues. Um, 
this is kind of just a visual interpretation of what happens, right? So uh, positional bargaining in the column on the, the left, right? And then an integrative on the on the right. I, mean, I couldn't fit the long picture all on in one big line. So, you know, you move through the, the left side slide first and then move to the right slide. So um, in positional bargaining, disputants are adversaries, whereas in integrative or uh, interest-based bargaining, the disputants are joint problem solvers, right? You, you work together to solve issues and problems. That's what this place needs. It has a lot of problems. It needs to work quickly, expeditiously to solve its problems, identify its problems, and make fixes, right? Um, in positional bargaining, you gotta you gotta beat someone. So the, the goal is victory, right? And in interest-based bargaining, the goal is making a wise decision. How do we want our airline to work, right? rather than I want it to work in some kind of middling screwed up way that we've arrived at every, you know, as we carve off different sides of the pie, right? And end up with something that nobody likes, right? What we need to do at this airline is work on goals, right? We're a tiny little airline with a long ways to go. Tons of revenue, that's great. But man, if you keep operating in a way that, um, and bargaining in a way, that is driving the two sides apart and someone has to win and someone has to lose uh, versus working well together to get things done. It's a problem, right? And there's a long list of airlines with uh, that, that stopped in this, this chart right here and died. Um, in positional bargaining, you demand concessions, right? Whereas in interest-based bargaining, you work together to determine who gets what, right? You don't have to win the whole thing all the time. You don't have to even win all the time or win at all, right? You can give people something because it's a better idea. Pragmatically, it needs to work this way, right? But not if you see the world in a, in a, through a worldview that says, I got to win and I'm going to demand concessions, right? So in the positional bargaining, you dig into your position, right? Because whether you understand it or not, or you know how it works or whether it's totally irrational, you stay there. Right. Um, in interest based bargaining, you focus on your interests and not on the position. So uh, we both have this problem. We want to solve it. How are we going to get there? Make things work better. Right. Um, so moving on to the, the right side of the slides. Right. Uh, in positional bargaining, you mislead, mislead and use tricks. Right. This is sitting at the bargaining table, not telling people what you want and distracting and hoping that people will um, get led astray and uh, get people to agree to things that um, don't work. Right. Mislead and use tricks. Right. Uh, whereas on the right side, you're open about your interests and you use fair principles. You say, I would like to do this. I'm willing to do it in these ways. Let's work on a better way to do things. Oh, you feel this way? Uh, and that will work better? Yeah, I guess it will, right? And you, you start working on that rather than obscuring and hoping people will fall into tiger traps, right? Um, in positional bargaining, you insist on your position, right? Uh, whereas in uh, Interest-based bargaining, you insist on objective criteria and consider multiple answers, right? Um, so it's a data-driven approach, right? The data says this thing works better rather than I feel like this is the only way this can work. Um, fairly important at this airline that we learn how to do that uh, in an effective way, right? Um, 
that we look at what needs to happen and work on that rather than holding tight to our position because it's uh, you know uh, the only way that we feel like it can operate um or insisting on that position because it will harm the other person right um in positional bargaining you apply pressure right so what you do is you use you know a section like section 18 to create a distraction so you can't get the work done on on pbs right uh, and you have no intentions of really settling it you just use it to apply pressure and make it difficult to get the work done um and uh, use it as a distraction right apply pressure more pressure we need this right now we need this right now work faster work faster right hoping people miss things and uh, you know go see uh, mislead and use tricks right move back down to apply pressure mislead use tricks right you just gotta stay in that little loop uh, whereas in uh, interest-based bargaining, you use reason, right? Uh, you yield to principle, not pressure, right? Um, so, yep. Uh, you look at PBS and you go, you know what? We should do what the rest of the industry does because it works. And doing things that make sense uh, and is where everyone else in the industry arrived at, right? Uh, is important because it's functional rather than creating dysfunction for the sake of creating dysfunction. Um, and then in positional bargaining, you look for a win for you alone, right? So uh, whereas in uh, interest-based bargaining, you look for the win-win, right? And the thing that's going to, uh, where both sides can come together and gain out of the negotiations, right? What that means when both sides gain out of the negotiation is that they're excited about implementing and they want to make it happen, right? But if all you do is positional bargaining, the outcome is going to be a middling, you know, baby split that nobody really is happy about. Um, and what what ends up happening is you, you don't want to implement. The, even the company doesn't want to implement their own Section 18. That's their past. They asked for full-time instructors. Look where it's at. Right? Positional bargaining. That's how you get there. You don't even want to implement the things that you asked for. Um, there's a laundry list of airlines that subscribed to this positional bargaining notion, and a lot of them are out of business. Right? Broken careers, work somewhere for 20 years, and a management team gets in place and is doing positional bargaining, trying to harm people, and destroy relationships. We don't have time for that. We're outpaced by every airline in this industry um, in the last 60 days, right? Uh, pay and work rules on every level have moved. Why? Because all of those properties need to get their schedules covered, right? And they, they're willing to pay in order to get those schedules covered. My assessment of the situation is that our management feels they overpaid a year ago, and they're finding out that they didn't overpay. And in fact, now they're in a worse position than they were 14 months ago. And they're lashing out, and all they know is positional bargaining, and they're going to hurt you, and they're going to hurt us. All right. Um, that's the end of my slide deck. That's what I got. Um, I want to thank you guys for staying tuned in through my hour and 20 minutes of talking. Um, let's open the call up to some Q&A. Uh, is it star six, Kevin, uh, for the telephone lines? If they want to raise their hand. 
Uh, star five will raise your hand, and star six will mute and unmute you. So star five to raise your hand, then when you're called upon, you can hit star six. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, anybody at all, any questions? Um, and uh, we'll try and answer. A lot of people in the room, uh, no doubt you've got some questions. Don't be shy. Any questions are good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Johnny Lang, how you doing, man? You're muted right now. Good, I got floor. Hey, I can hear you. Hey, sweet. How's it going, man? Hey, uh, just a question. Uh, at what point uh, do we start looking at um, negotiating towards just the next contract? I mean, it, uh, we're obviously still battling the current one that you guys did, you know, a year ago or whatever. When does that kind of transition into the next goal? Yeah, I mean, we're there, right? Um, obviously, there's some things from the last round of bargaining that need to get settled, right? Um, Section 18 being the, the quagmire and then, you know, implementation of PBS. And the company has some serious growing pains going on with, you know, payroll and uh, trying to find IT solutions to, you know, become more efficient, right? Uh, they need to do something about AIMS uh, they, before you end up looking like Southwest, right? Um, and, uh, you know, payroll was, as I said, with 600 pilots running, uh, you know, through Ames and an Excel spreadsheet is just not doable. You need a rainmaker or an ELP to get that going. Um, and part of the problem there is, you know, the coding, the interface out of Ames into that payroll program is where the, you know, the system's breaking down. Ames is uh, not talking well with the, you know, the normal real world payroll program. So all that to say, I think there's a bunch of issues that need to get resolved. Um, now on our side, right? Uh, we're gonna have to divide our attention, uh, get really tight in on uh, all of the new metrics in the industry, right? Cause everything's changed over the last two months and be ready to start to deal when the company comes to, uh, to us and says, we need to pay you more money because we can't hire people and our attrition is spiking, right? So we don't we don't control that. They control that. Um, it seems like they got a lot of issues to get over in terms of, you know, maybe thinking that they overpaid last December. And there's there's going to be a little, you know, identity crisis schism that goes on there for a while. I have a feeling. And, you know, as we saw this at, at Endeavor, too, right, they went through the bankruptcy and they swung the pendulum too far. And, you know, they didn't pay enough and they didn't have the work rules because they had raided everything through through the bankruptcy. And, you know, uh, they were pretty happy with the work they had done to kind of destroy that contract. But ultimately, the the airline couldn't survive off of what they had gotten out of bankruptcy. And they had to come back and offer money and offer work rules and, you know, rebuild the airline, right? Um, this place is behind where it was 14 months ago every pilot here feels it and i think that's what you're asking is when are we going to fix that yeah i guess i mean yeah that's kind of part of it right i mean it's we just watched most of the industry kind of jump ahead which we kind of i guess assumed at some point would happen but uh we just i guess we're kind of hoping that you know the company is not going to wait to start negotiating something new until the expiration of this current contract you know 
He would have to hope so, right? Or, yeah. or I think the attrition is going to really start to ramp up. And that's, again, not to, you know, kind of go back into the, the Endeavor world, but I mean, that, that place was losing 70 pilots a month, right? Um, and we were able to hire three for months and months, right? Until all, all it took at that time was, you know, 20 grand pilot and it fixed it. But it, Right. And I guess the only other question is, uh, there's the rumor floating around the the company right now, all the pilots are thinking, you know, keep hearing it. Is there any thoughts on jumping to the final pay line of our schedule sooner than later? Has the company offered that or is that just a rumor spread amongst uh, the pilots? We haven't, we haven't been approached about that at all. And, and frankly, I don't know that it would do it. I mean, we are now, I mean, what was the Delta rate? Don't quote me, 380? Yeah, it's super high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're $80,000 behind there. Yeah, no, I mean, that doesn't fix it by any means. I was just curious because that rumor is kind of flying around the, the line right now. So I was just curious if that had been talked about. Yeah, I mean, what do you do when $80,000 doesn't fix it, right? And um, uh, you could offer some quality of life, but we're hell-bent on these terrible schedules. And, you know, we wouldn't have to go down this path of uh, reducing the minimums to nothing if the schedules were fixed, but we're hellbent on the schedules. And frankly, what I hear from most of the industry, uh, whether it's Delta or us, is fix my schedule, not just pay me more. The first airline that figures it out, right? You can you can just let everybody drop whatever they want to drop so that they can, you know, take care of their childcare or whatever it is that they got to take care of, right? Those guys are going to go make up their income through, you know, open time by picking up other other trips, uh, and the company is going to get all of their open time flying covered, and airlines now work differently, right? That that's what this is about. It's a it's a cultural shift. Well, yeah, I think me and Will Outlaw talked a little bit about that. It's kind of funny how pilots will work down to minimum days off as long as they're the one that decided to do it. You know, once you give the pilot the control of their schedule, they're you know, happy to work down to men days off. I mean, some pilots anyway, but if you force them to do that month after month, then they're annoyed. But uh, yeah, that's right. That's pilots right. don't like to be forced to do much of anything. Last time I checked and kind of yeah. pulled that in. Well, that's it for me. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, anyone else? Uh, hand raise function in Teams or uh, Star 5 on the phone? And we'll open up the line. All right. Yep, we got someone. I got three. Everybody I'm going to go with Dave G. Um, go ahead. You got the floor. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm on the road. Can you hear me on the car phone here? Yeah, stand by. I'm just going to turn you up a little bit so that I get your question. All right, go ahead. Good. Hey, I was just picking up the dog and missed a couple of questions. But here, if, for instructors who pick up a sim fill um well i guess yeah never mind I mean, they're quite we have to get within 5.3 is that what it is and if we get time and a half for that is that 5.3 times 1.5 is that kind of how that works yeah that's the yes that's the um, crux of it. And, then, and then the next question is is how much then is the override based on is it based on that new number or is it based on the core number of the trip which would have been 
Yeah, the override is pay, paid on hours, okay? Uh, so on credit. Uh, important distinction here because it, it was done as an override and rather than a percentage because it's just supposed to be an override. Um, so it's not something that goes into your base pay and has a multiplier for the premium pay. Okay. Is that so drive at what you're looking for? Well, yeah, but I got a little bit confused. So if you if you pick up a trip worth X and nah. multiply that one five, which gives yeah. you Y, is your thirty dollars override based on Y? Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. So let me uh, let me try an answer here. Um, so the sim fills. Okay, and I'm just going to go right back to the very beginning on this question. The sim fills are not in the language that was ratified last December. Okay, uh, the sim fills are supposed to go through regular pilot open time, and the training pilot under that language doesn't have a right to add them. All right. Um, that said, uh, the discussion at the table was probably something different than that. And um, both sides need to maintain credibility, right? Them on their override and us on our synfills and come to resolution, right? When a training pilot can pick up seat fills, right? They're, they can go on his schedule as one of the 17 events, in which case they're paid at straight pay 5.3. And if they're added through uncovered training events, they have a pay override, right? So 150% premium pay, okay? So 5.3 hours of credit at 150% of your base rate, then add the override on top of that. Great. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully that clears it up. Uh, Josh uh, Redereth, you're up. All right, you guys hear me? I sure can. Um, quick question, uh, just kind of overall, are we short on APDs like across the whole border just for the, like, the specific month? I'm just, I'm curious. I'm in upgrade right now and I won't air all my issues uh, over, the, over the call, but um, I was just kind of curious about that. Um, you say short on APDs? Yeah, like are we short like overall for the entire training department, or are we just short like this current month? Are we short? I mean, I'm, I'm experiencing some like severe delays between events, um, which is not setting anybody up for success. You know? Yeah, anyway. nobody's talked to me directly about it. I what I gather is that they needed more people doing OE and have pushed. APDs to do OE, and so they're a little short on, uh, you know, people to do checking. But I, I really am not the person to uh, answer that question. I'm not. I'm not close enough to the issue. Sure. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else? Uh, Tony Lokes. Uh, sometimes you're un you're not you're muted right there. You go unmuted. There we go. Sorry, yeah. I had one a few times. You guys hear me all right? Gotcha. Yeah. Perfect. Hey, this is a little bit of a two-parter, and if I need to take this offline, just let me know. Um, first one for all the Czech airmen. These Section 18 meetings at the company. 
has been holding. Um, is there is there really any uh, etiquette that you would suggest on those calls? Is it something we should, in fact, attend? They 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 kind of look like um, kind of an instructor um, meeting, kind of a pseudo instructor meeting. But um, just curious, what sort of conduct do you expect out of uh, the the check airmen for those? I I, I you know I don't want to get into, and hopefully nobody is getting into kind of side bargaining. Or, or anything like that. Um, does that make sense? Is there is there any sort of? Yeah, I think there's. You know, uh, the first issue that you're kind of trying to, I think, understand is whether these are instructor standardization meetings and whether they owe you pay for them, right? And that's unclear to me what they're trying to do there. If they're they're using them as kind of a sub rosa standardization meeting, um, you know, let me put it this way. There's a right way of doing this, and this is just like a simple town hall listening session, right? Both sides go together, and we hear what the pilots have to say, right? Uh, straight and simple. In terms of them wanting to do it by cutting us out, I, I don't even know how they do that. I mean, there's so many ALPA guys. Half half the guys on those calls are ALPA guys. Uh, and I mean, like, pretty involved in their day-to-day -day workings, Right from Zillin and you and uh, Andrew and uh, gatekeepers and like, I mean it goes on and on. Right, um, I'm just not sure what they think that they're trying to do there. It's a small airline and um, yeah, I guess know your audience right before you get into the into trouble there. Uh, that's a warning to them rather than you. When you were the MEP, a disservice by attending those meetings per se. Correct. I'm not going to tell you guys to attend or not attend. I don't know that it does anything. I got to be honest. I don't know that it does anything at all. Um, we hear you guys loud and clear. We know what the issues are. Um, they should solve their issues and implement. Uh, you know, I think they were fairly close with just OC and Andy, right? And then when we hired Houghton, he kind of went in a different direction than the direction they went and it really threw a monkey wrench in their side um, that's where all the five-day rolling scheduling window stuff comes from and it totally undermines everything that was negotiated in december and there's just no way to finish and close that thing out with more you know kind of undermining of what's there and i and you guys are caught in the middle of it and I, I don't, I mean, go listen, go tell them, tell them you're not happy with what's going on, right? Need to get paid properly and settle the thing and have a clear work environment, right? The instability is doing nobody any good. And, um, you know, trying to, I guess here's my issue, is if their notion is they're going to hold a bunch of listening sessions, um, uh, it's going to end up with, a bunch of guys hearing false promises about things that they can do that they maybe can't do. And, uh, you know, we can only do so much here. And what was bargained was bargained. And if they want to change it, they can change it. But there's a new exchange of value that occurs, right? And to kind of lead you guys down the path of, yeah, we're going to make a bunch of changes. Tell us what you want. Um, may not work out for them. Yeah. 
Anyways, I wish okay. I could give you some clearer instructions. And I'm not I'm not sitting in those meetings and I don't I'm not here in the meetings and I and to be honest with you, don't care to hear them or understand what's going on in them. It, it is um it's bizarre to say the least. And um I I just I don't know what they're up to. Understood. Um yeah. second question, this may be a little bit too specific, but you, you brought it up in the meeting today about um Trading events being scheduled after publication of final um, final line awards or, or the final publication of schedules. Um, what about things for that are unlisted on the bid package? Like uh, my case right now is I've got to go get through right seat qualification again. I'll be I'm doing this month in Grace Lake. That, uh, next month, they're contacting me about doing that this weekend, but that's not something that's normally listed on the bid package. Um, is there a specific way to go about doing this? Can, are, are they allowed to contact me right now as they are? Or is that something that needs to be grieved? I would grieve it and have us look at it. I mean, you you guys saw the list of grievances and pre-grievances and issue forms, and there's a lot there. And, you know, the grievance committee is working really hard to wrap their heads around this stuff and get the paperwork filed and, you know, kind of, do the work um and i i just the only way for us to track is to file pilot issue forms um and and not darts right darts are a great way to reach out and contact us if you need some you know contract clarification and get in touch with a committee but these are you know questions about whether i have a violation or i think i have a violation or i know i have a violation file the pilot issue form and let those guys start working it um that's that's the clearest answer i can give you there tony appreciate it thank you yep yep you know what uh bill you're up thanks um just a quick question i know it wasn't touched on um is there any new information obviously the company initiated a pretty big stock buyback it doesn't seem to have helped the cause but maybe a little bit. Um, any updates on movement from Apollo or where the direction of the company is going? It just doesn't seem like we have any direction past hoping we don't have another snowstorm tomorrow that we got to get through. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you tracked on the uh, SEC disclosure, the S3 filing um, with Apollo and Amazon. So, uh, basically what that filing is, if I understand it correctly from the briefs that I got, and um, I, I see Alex is on here from uh, economic and finance analysis as well. Um, if I'm not giving the right answer, let me know. But uh, essentially what that S3 filing is, uh, is the mechanism that has to occur in order for Apollo to divest their shares. Um, the explanation that I got from management as to why Amazon was included in that is because of how the uh, paperwork was filed in the IPO. Uh, Amazon has not expressed any desire to sell their warrants. Um, however, the company was fairly pleased to see the S3 filing on the part of Apollo um simply because it's the first step that would uh, have to occur to work towards uh, apollo divesting got it 
Thanks. Yeah, the the biggest thing was just curiosity about that. And given the stagnation that we have going on right now, um, yeah, kind of kind of just, in limbo, as, right? Yeah. As as one kind of side note, um, and I know I'm sure this is probably one of the largest frustrations for you guys. And I'm sure the question's been asked of the company, but maybe we could get an answer. The company expects us to perform at 100% every day, every time, no mistakes, minimal mistakes, and we got to do it right. But yet, when we look at the essentially percentage of contract implementation versus what was negotiated, how, how does that equation work for a balanced relationship? State that one more time for me. Sorry, just the, the end there. Yeah, the, the question is basically we're expected to perform to the best of our abilities, 100%, do it right every time, all day. And I think this group does a very good job of that. The question is, what's the company's response to how then they're doing grading themselves when we're supposed to be at a hundred percent, but when you, when it comes to contract implementation and putting all these pieces together, the JPWG and all this stuff, you know, their percentage of completion or on time is not, I mean, how do we, how do we achieve a balanced relationship in a, in an environment like that? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know where they're at in terms of, you know, their own self-assessments of the job that they're doing. Um, my sense is that they are struggling um, with some stuff, right? I mean, we're a growing airline. I just want to take a step back from all that for a second and note that we have almost doubled in size over the last year. Um, when I looked at our roll call numbers, we get a roll call um, from National every month when that email came in. It just, you know, the timing of it happened to strike with um one of these conversations a tough conversation with uh eric levenhagen about some of this stuff right and i would say it isn't about the people it isn't about apollo um and it isn't about you know uh wanting or not wanting to implement or succeed right this stuff is um really driven by uh, I would say what I perceive to be some stress about things not happening at the speed that they're supposed to happen, you know, PBS, right? There's a, they needed PBS to implement on the first of the year in order to have the cost savings to offset rig and with that not happening, you know, there's a lot of pressure over there to, you know, succeed, right? Um, we're doing really well as an airline in a couple of places, right? We're making lots of revenue, um operationally right you, you look at greg's summaries on the operation itself uh, on time performance completion factor that stuff's great yeah we lose a lot of bags or sorry we have bags that, uh, that uh don't reconnect with their owners um but uh reality is you know there's some things here that are really really good but there's also some things that are really really messed up and that is you know, positional bargaining, that is not a thing that you subscribe to. Like I said, you, you don't you don't have to spend a lot of time with it. Google it up because 
you know, uh, five minutes spent there with your Google results will tell you that this is not the way that the world negotiates. It It is harmful and it ends poorly. And I think the storm and stress that this pilot group is having with management is a big part of that. I don't know if they think that, you know, by painting us as, you know, unable to succeed or incapable or, uh, you know, running all of the divide and conquer strategies, and then they run their marginalization and mitigation strategies, right? Um, and then they just smile and say, we're doing a great job. Everything's fine. Um, that a bunch of people are going to run, you know, to that as a as a solution, right? You, you have to have a functional relationship. And um, I mean, we're here. We're going to be here for a long time. We're a unionized property. And uh, trade unionism is a thing. And they're going to have to, you know, learn to deal with us in the right way. And the way to deal is the way that, all the other successful airlines are dealing, right? It's why you're seeing all of these deals get done quickly and effectively um, because the airline is interested in how to fly their schedules and they want to figure out what they need to do to compete in a competitive market. And, you know, we need to work with our management team and we need our management team to work with us to come to those solutions. Subscribing to positional bargaining, you know, um, competitive win-loss bargaining uh, doesn't work. It isn't functional. It ends in animosity and broken relationships, which ultimately slowly hurt the airline. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? Um, you look at why, you know, all these airlines that are seeing these big gains and what they're doing and how they're getting there. These aren't competitive conversations. These are conversations about how they're going to get together and do better than the other airlines that are out there and function better, right? These are pragmatic discussions about how to succeed. That's what needs to be happening. All right. Anyone else? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Alvin, go ahead, get the floor. I think you're muted, Elvin, if you're talking. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Can hear you now. Can you hear me? I got you. Okay, hey. Uh, Two-part question on the uh, commuter accessibility trip, the long Amazon trips and whatnot. Number one, what was the, uh, what was the deal with company not uh, wanting to, uh, you know, uh, extend it. Uh, and in fact, they let it expire. And now all of a sudden, okay, well, we, we're reinstating it. What was the deal with that? Can you give a little background? And number two, uh, the question is, uh, you know, it's supposed to go, it, it's it's labeled commuter accessibility, right? But for January, it largely went into the Minneapolis locals and it didn't really uh, live up to its name of, you know, uh, I understand that how that's how seniority works. If you can hold it, then then it's yours. But uh, it's not really living up to its name of you know going to commuters. Yeah. So uh, first part of that, why did it expire? Um, simply has to do with the funding. Uh, so they have, I would say, um, in a very gentle way here, they have an institutional problem in terms of signing LOAs and getting LOAs done. Uh, 
and um, they needed to fund the work that was already being done, and um, they needed to work through some issues there internally, and they ran themselves out of time before Christmas, and um, they ran out of time to bid them. They just flatly ran out of time. Um, so they got there. Uh, they figured out how to make sure that the work that was already being done uh, had funding to you know, continue to be accomplished. And they were able to re-up the letter uh, under some mm, uh, marginal changes in, uh, um, in wording, right? So it just took them a while to work through it. So that's really it. That's the simple answer. Uh, you know, how to get those trips into the hands of commuters is a little more complicated, right? Um, I'm going to start with the demographic, which is we're still only like 17% commuter, right? Now, when I say commuter, I'm talking like you don't drive to work because you don't live within four hours drive time, okay? Um, uh, the traditional, you know, by air commuters, guys like you living in Salt Lake, that's, um, you know, 17%. So it's hard to create anything in this environment that isn't going to get bid by the non-commuter, especially if it's bid by seniority and you got to let everything get bid by seniority. And I think you, you, uh, you understand that problem. So I think what starts to happen here, right? Um, the rig as the the way that the rig and the average uh, min day credit start to work is they force um, line solutions that are more efficient. And as a result, you see more four or five day trips, okay? And when a senior guy, and this is especially true under PBS, um, can bid towards credit, which is going to give them days off, right? they are going to gravitate towards um, shorter trips that give them efficient credit, right? Right now, uh, what the long trips, the attraction there is the long chunk of time off, which allows these guys to pick up, you know, a five or six day trip, right? And uh, that's kind of uh, part of the issue. And as uh, those same bidders can hold, you know, efficient three days, efficient four days that allow them to have the kind of efficient schedule that generates days off without having to go on the road for 11, 12 days straight, I think that's where they're going to end up. And as a result, the longer trips will uh, gravitate towards people who want to fly longer trips because they want to decrease their number of times they commute. Good, Alvin. Uh, any follow-up to that? All right. Uh, Ross, I'm not sure uh, which Ross that is, if it's, uh, uh, but go ahead. You got the floor. You're muted if you're talking. All right. Yep. And Ross has uh, left the building. Uh, Austin, uh, you're up. You got the floor. Hey, uh, thanks for being here and uh, and doing this for us. Appreciate it. Can you hear me? I sure can. Yep. 
All right. Uh, I apologize if you have already answered this question already. I did have to jump offline uh, a little bit ago, but um, how is uh, PBS progressing? I know last time we discussed PBS, it, it wasn't great news. So just wanted to see if there was any movement on it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I gave a fairly, uh, you know, detailed dish brief uh, on the start of the call. If you go back and re-listen on the recordings, I think you'll, you'll find uh, uh, what you need there. But in a nutshell, real quick, um, I think it's in a much better place. Part of that is us being comfortable with, um, you know, creating a consensus about a strategy uh, as to how to deal with, you know, someone who is a positional bargainist, right? And um, who is, you know, in an extreme position and holding fast to that position. And we feel comfortable in an arbitration with uh, industry standard. And, um, you know, PBS operates in a really tight band, right? Um, you go from property to property to property, and it's pretty much the same. And the NavBlue product is very similar from property to property without a whole lot of difference. And I think we can make a case for industry average. And we presented a very, very good, well thought out um, uh, PBS letter, uh, both an implementation letter and full PBS language to the company uh, last week. So they now have all of our work. Um, we're working internally on the contract uh, section uh, language changes that need to be made. Uh, we've identified all the language in our current book that needs to be changed. Uh, we're through several sections of that already and a um, couple more to go. I think we're in great shape. Um, along with that, I should mention that uh, we have moved the arbitration date, uh, which is to say when the parties have to notify each other that they're going to go to arbitration uh, to the 27th of January. I am still hopeful that they can work through whatever it is on their side and realize that they have a very good, pragmatic, sensible industry average uh, offer on the table here um, that will allow them to implement PBS just as soon as they can get NavBlue to do it. We have done our work. We have met their timeline, uh, you know, their delayed timeline by not starting when they needed to start. Um, but we have moved very quickly, very effectively. And what I see is, uh, is a great job. And I just want to call out Katie Thompson and Tim Pavlish for doing a ton of work and being spot on, um, just really doing great work. Um, as well as the team from Alpa National that's helping them. They're, they're doing great. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Follow-up, has there been any uh, discussion as far as, I know, you know, way back when we were talking about, uh, you know, making trips more commutable. Um, you know, that was something that Greg had been talking about from, you know, like day one when I came on property was, yeah, we need to make trips more commutable. Has there been any movement on that at all? Um, I, I wouldn't say no, there is a, you know, a collective knowledge that we need to do better with commuters in order to attract and retain enough pilots on this property, um, to execute, 
you know, future growth plans. And, you know, the rest of the industry isn't making it any easier by changing pay and work rules, right? Because um, now it's pay work rules and commutability that needs to be solved again. But with that, I would say, you know, when the company is ready, we're ready to talk about how we do it, right? Okay, that sounds great. That's all I have. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, just to add one more thing, uh, kind of to the the picture here. Um, uh, so, commuter accessible trips, right, is one of the topics that will get covered in uh, our midterm bargaining. Uh, so we have contractually a um, a midterm bargaining cycle is coming up at the end of this year. Okay, um, I talked about this a little bit on our last all pilot call. Um, we have four issues uh, identified by each party, plus uh, the CATS or commutable accessible trips conversation to have. All right. And what that is, is it's um, add, amend, change um, uh, language on, you know, four issues and then um, deal with the commuter accessible trips. So there is a conversation coming on that. Uh, PBS implementation needs to occur before that conversation really is gonna, gonna work. Um, there's been work done with the S3 pairing build software uh, or optimizer as they call it, uh, to be able to create trips that start and end out of domicile. Um, so the idea would be that you would tack on uh, travel days onto other trips. A lot remains to be seen here. How do you do that without hurting um, either pay or days off, uh, which are some of the requirements of what needs to be uh, addressed in order to do uh, anything that looks like a commuter accessible trip. That said, the long trips are kind of the um, the easy first start to that, right? To see if, A, just to see if there's takers. Clearly there are. I mean, I, I forget it was like 79, uh, you know, independent bidders for those uh, recently in the last uh, last round of bidding on that. But the long trips are uh, hugely popular. Clearly people want to start work from elsewhere um, and end trips in other places. And there's a better way to um, do, uh, let's say, do airline than bases, right? Um, bases are kind of a relic of um, pre-deregulation era, uh, and it doesn't have to be that way if you can respect seniority and offer a different alternative that doesn't hurt pilots in terms of pay and day off, or days off, and we, I think we can get there. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out what that's going to be and what it looks like. And in order to do that, we need some concrete ideas to talk about with the company. I haven't seen a scenario yet that doesn't harm the pilot in terms of either pay or days off, one or the other, and it can't hurt either one of those things. So um, that's maybe more than you wanted to know, Austin, but that's that's where that's at. No, that's, that's a lot of uh, good information. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for everything yeah. you do. Thanks, man. Uh, you too. You're doing some good work at the uh, uh, safety committee, so happy about that. Um, 
All right. Uh, we're coming up on the two-hour mark. Um, if there's anyone else who has any questions, thoughts, uh, additional things they'd like to dig into, even stuff we didn't cover on the call, I'd be happy to talk about them. But uh, um, use the raise hand function and I'll uh, answer your questions. All right. Um, with that, uh, I want to say uh, thanks to everyone for joining. Um, really do appreciate the engagement. Um, you know, we are posting all of these calls on uh, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual um, podcast type uh, um, places, right? So do tune in and uh, expect that in the next uh, week or so, we'll try to go over more of the survey with you guys. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.